This episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by CuraDebt. CuraDebt Debt Counseling offers you free debt settlement consultations. You're not dealing with the banks. You're not dealing with the credit cards. You're dealing with a company that is there to work for you and not the creditors. Hey, bad things happen. Bad things happen to all of us. If you have $10,000 or more in unsecured or credit card or personal loan debt, you owe it to yourself to give them a call. Pick up the phone, call 866-951-2699 for your free debt consultation. CuraDebt will work with you and provide you with a roadmap to rebuilding your credit. It's free. You have absolutely nothing to lose, but possibly the bad stuff that comes along with debt. 866-951-2699. Gather up your statements, give them a call, and take advantage of a free consultation. 866-951-2699. Cure a debt. 866-951-2699. Now, on with the show. Nerd Cognito. Hello, welcome everybody. Another week has passed. Another episode of Nerd Cognito is streaming to you from your favorite podcast provider. My name is Ryan David. I am joined by Bert this week. Hello, Bert. Hey, Ryan. How's it going this week? It is go. I'm I'm really excited about today's show. Uh, once again, we have a show that's going to break our format, but I think it is well worth it. And uh, I, I know you're even more excited because you actually got to to dive into what we're talking about at, on the off the deep end, where I was just waiting in the kiddie pool. Well, I mean, you sent me the materials this morning. I didn't have a lot going on today, so I had some time to jump into it. It is awesome. We uh, are, are really, really excited. We have a incredible special guest coming up that I think some of you are going to appreciate hearing from on the show. We're talking about none other than Greg Lambert, one of the co-authors of the Chronicles of Iris. Iris. Greg Greg taught me how to say it correctly. Iris. Chronicles when I looked at it, at first I thought it was Eris, but yes, it's Iris, apparently. Anyway, Chronicles of Iris author Greg Lambert, and we are going to dedicate both segments to, to Greg to tell us about his incredible, incredible journey creating a non-fifth edition, fifth edition, both setting and adventure and sub-adventure. It is outstanding. For those of you that don't know, Iris went to Kickstarter last year, was phenomenally successful, and there is a new supplement coming out this year, and Greg's going to come and talk to us about it. And his timing couldn't be more perfect, Bert. I mean, for us, selfishly, our group just wrapped a tabletop RPG. So we are shopping for a new tabletop RPG and Iris just might scratch that itch. We'll ask Greg about it when, when he comes on. Absolutely. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what he has to say. We were going to open the show with a game that came to the Nerd Cognito table this week after sitting on the shelf of shame for two years. <laughs> Hard to believe it sat there unopened for two years, huh, Bert? 
Yeah, I I never even knew you had a copy until we pulled it out. I, I'm talking about Brass Birmingham. It, it was one of those ones that, hey, it, I bought it, and it sat there. But we finally got it to the table, and short version, I really enjoyed the game. So next week on Nerd Cognito, Bert and I are going to dig down deep and give you our thoughts on, ga- on the game. Bert, did you enjoy... I, <laughs> Part of it is probably swayed because I haven't won a game for about six months, and I won, which which was nice. It's nice to win every once in a while. But I think the other half is I really just dug the mechanics and the play style of the game. Um, right. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I lost, but I only lost by a small margin, which is always a bonus. You know, a close game is better than somebody running away with the whole thing. Hey, the, the game was won on one point. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it in detail next week. Stay tuned for the full, full dive into Brass Birmingham. I figure at this point, we've waited two years. We can push it a week for the review, especially oh, since so. we've got Greg standing by. Yeah, I think we could push it back another week. <laughs> well... You know what that means. If we're going to skip the first segment... (laughs) We're going right to the news. Oh, fuck me. Uh, If it makes you feel better, since we blasted through a fuck ton of news last week, there's not a whole lot that really popped to the top of the headlines this week, Bert. Okay, so it'll be a... A small news segment, which is, uh, you know... Never a bad thing. Last week it was... Never, no. never a bad thing. Well, you know, also, outside of the nerd world, the political world blew up this week, so that's like all that the news was, so I was trying to avoid news to an extent as well. <laughs> right, I mean, we don't talk about politics here, so when the political world blows up, the nerdy news kind of drops off. Thank you, Supreme Court, for giving us a light, nerdy news week. And I'll start right off with the new Final Fantasy 16, which is going to be absent of American voice acting, Bert. Really? No American voice actors at all? Final Fantasy 16 will not have any American English voice acting because Square Enix is worried that it might offend Americans. How does that work? I am smacking my forehead right now. Uh, Yoshida from Square explained that the English version of the game will be voiced solely by actors using British English, as the developers really worried that the American English-speaking characters would upset American players that might have been hoping for an authentic representation of medieval Europe. Oh, I hit the wrong button. I hate when I do that. (laughs) They get three push factors for that one. Quote. Go ahead. No, I I, I really want to hear because this one is, is very close to me running for the toilet. The game is set in medieval Europe. So they eliminated all American accents from it for authenticity's sake? Well, let me start. It's a fucking Final Fantasy game. Is it medieval Europe? 
It's a good question. None of the other ones have been like real world settings. I, I can't imagine that it is absolutely a European setting. Does it throw back and hearken to medieval times? Probably. But Jesus Christ, can we just stop worrying about offending offending people because of an American English accent? Unbelievable. But yes, your your Final Fantasy 16, which is scheduled to launch sometime as a PS5 console exclusive in the summer of 2023, will not have any of us American Yanks in it. <laughs> That just strikes me as really strange. Very, very strange. Uh, We'll cross over to the comic world, which ironically didn't get any love in our Super News episode from last week. That's true. Um, There was very little that caught my eye in the comic world over those past two weeks, but uh, this week, IDW celebrates an anniversary. 15 years of Star Trek comics. They're going to have a special Star Trek 400, of course, right? And it's, sure, absolutely. It's going to be huge. It's an extended one-shot. It's going to be about eight bucks. Um, those are always fun to read. And they also announced something that I think will be even more fun, which is a Lower Decks comic book series. Now, Bert, I'm going to punch your nerd card here for a second. You still haven't subbed for paramount plus yet no i have not that means that you have missed discovery and discovery with pike and picard and lower decks which is a phenomenal show so come on bert jesus i'm gonna i know what i'm buying you for for your birthday your birthday is (laughs) You're getting a Paramount Plus gift card. <laughs> I'm sure I am. <laughs> Unfortunately, your birthday's got a long way around the carousel, so I get to beat you up for what a good eight nine months. <laughs> right. I I have not I, I've not pulled the trigger on it yet, but I have been thinking about it recently. Especially, I, I won't say I'm running out of things to watch, but the series that I'm interested in don't seem to be, you know, showing up quickly enough. Not to mention, you know. Beavis and Butthead do the universe is on Paramount Plus. Um, but we're talking about Star Trek right now. Um, yeah, come on, Bert. Lower Decks is truly, truly, I think, the hidden gem of the new Star Trek shows. Not, now, I enjoyed Discovery the last season. Eh, you know, I enjoy Picard. I'm enjoying Strange New Worlds. I won't watch Prodigy because fuck Kate Mulgrew. But Lower Decks is finally the Star Trek show that makes fun of Star Trek shows. And it is brilliant. Not only is the writing pithy and funny, but there are a ton of callbacks. You can tell that it is written with love by Star Trek fans little incidental things that are drawn in and may not even be mentioned that are just call-outs from all eras of Trek show up in Lower Decks. So I'm curious to see what the comic will look like. (sighs) Will it make me trudge back into my terrible local comic book store? Probably. Probably. Oh, man, we need a capital investment, man, because 
the comic book store out this way is just terrible. I think I've bitched about that a lot. You have. You've mentioned it several times that the you know the quality's just not there. It, it, it isn't. We need a good comic book store. But if you have a good comic book store, definitely check out special four number four hundred of Star Trek. Eight bucks for a special edition, probably bigger than usual deal, and the debut of Lower Decks in comic book form. Well, next up in the news this week, my favorite genre of time killer when I'm sitting in front of my PC is, of course, the city builder. Right. You're a huge city builder fan. Hundreds and thousands of hours. Oh, my God. Too many. Well, this is going to be a good year for city builders. Uh, I, I sort of put together a little list of all of the city builders that are on my radar that are coming up. Some of them we've talked about before, like the one that we talked about last week, right? The new introversion software spaceship builder, uh, but it's a the same. last starship, right? Right. Um, but there's 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 a bunch of them, and I just want to want want to kick them off. You know, we haven't talked about the Wandering Village, and I just want to to paint a picture for you in your mind. Okay. And I'm going to do it by using association, right? Ready? Golden Ready. Axe. Okay. Village. On the back of a turtle, Bert. A turtle. Don't you remember in Golden Axe the the one the starting town or or the second town was on the back of a giant turtle? Right. Right. So I mean. <laughs> the... I, I might not be clear tonight. The Wandering Village is all about building stuff on the back of a cosmic sea turtle flying through space. <laughs> so it's Discworld. Terry Pratchett, you know, the giant... Uh, the Discworld is carried on the back of four elephants yep, standing yep, on the yep. great, great star turtle Atuin. So not only are you building your city, but you also have to manage your giant beast. You know, so you got to feed your turtle. And, you know, how do you feed a giant turtle? With a giant trebuchet. <laughs> in space <laughs> really <laughs> uh, it, it's weird enough that it, it's at least on my radar and you're absolutely right. correct it is a straight shout out to Terry Pratchett's Discworld right. and it, I mean it sounds amazing just because it's a totally different take on a city builder it, it is another th th that's sort of all of this list you know, to stand out in the city building category now, you really have to do something special. We we talked about uh, Summit Kingdom before, which is the city builder on the side of the mountain, right? Sure. That's right. on my list, too. We talked about it, oh, I want to say two months ago on the show. Uh, there's a little more footage out from it, and disappointingly, it's looking more traditional. Okay. As far as city builder goes. But again... It still has those vertical layers, and it's not yet out. So uh, I reserve judgment on that. But I'll, I'll probably buy it and play it anyhow, because that's just how how I roll. And if it's no good, I'll kill it off and move on to Necro City, which is a city-building and economic strategy game where you build a... Okay, I was going to say Necropolis. Yep. I was thinking like... Uh... 
you know, City of the Dead type deal. Effectively, you're correct. It's a metropolis for skeletons and ghosts and monsters and zombies. You know, you're going to search out and scour very distant tombs for resources and build defenses to, you know, ward off those evil human knights that are coming to raise your city. (laughs) But it's at least a twist. And I always like, ever since Dungeon Keeper, man, I liked management games that flipped the script and put you in the role of, quote, the bad guy. But uh, Necro City is is on my short list. Uh, Another one that takes us back to the reaches of outer space in the world of city builders. I'm going to mispronounce this, of course. Ixion? I-X-I-O-N? Ixion? Ixion? Ixion, maybe? I don't know. Ixion? Ixion? Something. Well, you're you're building a giant FTL space station that goes between worlds. So, a little competition for the pals at Introversion Software with the space genre. Uh, who doesn't want to have a giant space station that accidentally blew up the moon and doomed the Earth? <laughs> that That's you. That's you. And last but not least... On the City Builder short list of shit I want to play, this caught my eye this week because we spent some time last week talking about a new board game property that threw me back in memory land to my fond memories of Bioshock and my time in Rapture. Right. Well, Aquatico, the new underwater city building game, Almost took a page right out of the book of Andrew Ryan in Rapture. Build your city underwater! And and that's pretty much what you're doing. So the difference is the surface world is now an utter wasteland, and the remnants of humanity have fled below the ocean for shelter. And, of course, it's your job to build parks and potties for all the people that are peeing (laughs) in the ocean. So that's my short list of city builders. Which one, if I if I could gift you one right now, which one would you want? Um, the Necropolis one sounds kind of interesting. It's sort of the opposite of what you would normally think of. When if, I mean, I'm sure resource management and things fall into it, but it seems a totally like opposite take on what you would expect. Yeah, I, I, I think that they're all interesting and all trying to do something that is unique to the city builder world. Now, whether they fall in the trap of becoming just an everyday city world or city builder, you know, like if the underwater one turns into, it's just a city builder that's under the ocean. eh, Right. But I think they all have some promise. So my favorite PC genre lives on, you know, what else is living on? We talked about this at the gaming table this week. Amazon has demoed their voice cloning capability at a recent trade conference. So it is entirely possible that your Alexa in the near future could speak and answer you in the voice of a dead relative. (laughs) That seems really creepy. (laughs) Uh, Let me get even creepier and give you a quote from the head scientist for Alexa AI. Quote, 
human attributes of empathy and affect are key for building trust, which have been more important in these times of the ongoing pandemic when so many of us have loved blah, 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 right? Sure, okay. In the demo, a young boy... And in, you've seen Amazon demo videos before, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, you know, everything is sparkly and kind. Alexa, can Grandma finish reading me The Wizard of Oz? To which, in his grandma's voice, comes the reply, okay. And then a short passage from the book is read. <laughs> wow, that's really... Hearing the voice of a departed family member could be a way to make their memories last, as put by the developer. Of course, Amazon didn't talk about the utterly fucked up nature of this technology. (laughs) Right. I mean, the, the idea that you want to remember a relative who's passed on is natural. Everybody has that. Everybody's lost somebody. Everybody has memories of, you know, whether it's a parent or a grandparent or whatever. But putting them into Alexa and having them respond to your queries just seems wrong. Well, think about it compared to us, you know, our generation, our parents were the boomers, right? Sure. We probably aren't going to have enough source material for the AI to do a good job of it just because that's not where technology was in our lifetime during that period where those memories, those videos, those, you know, would be made. The generation in front of us does have that because everybody goes to a fucking concert and instead of watching the concert, they're watching their phone screen. Everybody's recording everything. So this is a legitimate thing that whether it actually makes a formal release or not it is a technology that absolutely can be put into place and i don't know god i I might be a pendatic twat here but you gotta at some point let things go i i remember i once dated a girl and her father died when she was a very very young girl right okay she was still hung up 20 plus years later on daddy and it wasn't healthy it wasn't healthy this would be something that would just enable that lack of grieving and 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 forward motion look at me being all heartfelt here i don't i don't know how i feel about this if I start the car and close the garage door and take the long nap, I don't want my son to hear my voice on his digital assistant. That wouldn't be hmm. healthy for him. I don't know. All right. Yeah, I'm not sure about this one. I mean, what's to, you know, what's to stop them from using a living voice then? And then you've got, you know, oh, I, well, there's enough audio online of this celebrity. I should be able to make them my Alexa. I should, you know. Well, I would think for a really good implementation of this, you would need a living sample. But then you're going to have people doing living samples. We live in that instant, I need my dopamine technology hit world. Mm-hmm. This is just enabling some of that stupid, stupid fucking behavior. I don't know. I get it. Developers are going to push the limits for what they can do. 
and it's not always what they should do. I'm curious to see where Amazon goes with this one because I can't see it, it, it being positively received. Mm. Yeah. But that, my friend, is our abbreviated news for this week. Way to, way to end on an interesting note, huh? Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that last story was kind of the most controversial of the night, and, you know, I'm not really sure how I feel about it or where it's going to go from here. Well, you, you know what I'm going to feel a lot better about? I'm going to feel a lot better about welcoming our next guest to Nerd Cognito. I am incredibly, incredibly thrilled to welcome to the show author, game designer, and general good guy doing the right things in a very, very polarized tabletop role-playing game world right now. So, Bert, let's welcome Mr. Greg Lambert to Nerd Cognito. Greg, welcome to the show. Welcome, Greg. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. No, I, I'm excited just to, you know, we love when content creators join us because listening to your process and viewing your products, and I'm not going to lie, it's probably going to be an easy sell for our role-playing group because we are right now in transition to a new system. So, um, okay. no pressure. What are you going I'm going to, well, we just finished up playing a friend of our, John. Basic Etzberg's uh, yep. Cow Punchers. We uh, ran a couple of sessions of that. Our group is a little unique in that while I am very sort of OSR aligned, the group is very much a, a melting pot of all sorts. And the one thing that sort of left them, I guess, wanting more was character progression because, you know, when a cowboy gets shot between the eyes, that's it. <laughs> and yeah, when a cowboy me. levels up, he's still a cowboy. Uh, so we were kind of thinking to transition back into fantasy. We did run 13th Age prior. I am vehemently opposed to running 5th edition. So, <laughs> so it was the perfect, perfect storm for, for you to join us this week because I'm going to make you give us the elevator pitch. What do you think, Bert? Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, the group that we have now is sort of a mixed bag when it comes to, you know, people who love a, a you know, a good, uh, you know, old school story, but they still want to see character progression. And so, you know, like you said, with Cow Punchers, we had a good time playing it. But once we reached the next level and everybody realized they were only getting one hit point, it was there were some <laughs> concerns. <laughs> I didn't mind the one hit point thing, but I was I was also running the game. So fifth edition offers a lot of uh, definitely a little bit more than what I would expect from character progression, especially compared to the OSR. But I'm good friends with John, the basic expert, and Cal Punchers is an awesome system. But uh, if you're looking for ridiculous complexity with character progression and the ability to make your character into basically anything you want. Unfortunately, probably 5th edition is the best way to go, although it does have some flaws. Well, let's not talk about the evil troll lurking in the background. Let's talk about <laughs> your product. Give us give us the synopsis. Okay, well, the Chronicles of Iris, and you can pronounce it Iris or Eris or Ares, like the 
the uh, the the Roman god of war. Um, See, I totally fucked that up, didn't I? <laughs> Iris. Doesn't really matter how you pronounce it, but that's the word for ether. So basically, the long story is uh, that we started playing D and D with AD and D Second Edition in the '90s. You know, we're we're grognards, we're old school AD and D fanatics. We were obsessed with Lord of the Rings, Dragonlance, Red Wall, all the classic fantasy from the '80s and '90s that we grew up with, and we based our D and D campaigns around that. And uh, many, many years later, after we had stopped playing D and D for a long time, I had made this uh, setting, which was a homebrew setting that was heavily influenced by all of those sources, like Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, especially The Cimmerillion. And uh, we started playing again with 5th edition when COVID-19 hit, which was 2020. My buddy Frank, who's my co-author, came to me and said, Hey, check this out. Now, we haven't played D&D in like 20 years. Let's take a look at it. And I'm like, okay, I'm on board. I wouldn't mind. You know, D&D has always been in the back of our minds. So we started playing D&D in 5th edition, which was fairly new. You know, it had been on the market for a few years. We didn't know too much about it. And as we started looking into it and kind of investigating the different settings that were available, Forgotten Realms is the default, but there are other ones like we just we, we weren't satisfied with that. We're like, you know, I don't want to play our games in these settings. And the reason why is because they didn't have that old school feel. They didn't have that heroic Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, Good versus Evil, C.S. Lewis classic fantasy feel that we were looking for so i decided to resurrect our setting which is iris which has all of those sensibilities and more and we developed that into an actual book which was like you know what there must be some other people out there in fifth edition some other players and dms who are looking for this style of fantasy that is more old school there's got to be some kind of audience for that out there so that's what we did, and we launched a successful Kickstarter, and we made our book. We're very open about the fact that we're influenced by Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, Brian Jacques with Redwall, Dragonlance, classic movies like The Dark Crystal, Neverending Story, Willow. You know, all that stuff is baked into our setting, so it's got a very old-school retro feel to it. And, and for old guys like us, that's fantastic because I think what really does, you know, you were talking about that feeling that you had when you were playing fifth edition, it, it really does feel, yes, we're going through the motions, but we're missing something. There's a piece that's empty and I'll be honest, our group has really struggled since fifth edition has come on board. You know, uh, our core group has been going over 20 years and wow. we've had that sort of emptiness and we've bounced through a bunch of things. I have, you know, I always fall back and go to look to 13th age because I think it's the closest that's out there. But again, I was not in the realm of, uh, I guess, awareness of Iris. And, and now that it's there, I really think that this is something that has some legs and we could really run with. Bert, now you have played a couple different fifth edition games, and I know I Bert's Bert's gaming schedule, Greg, it's insane. Let me just tell <laughs> you. Uh, my gaming schedule I thought was insane a long time ago. And and Bert, 
Bert's like, you just went to what, five days a week this week, you were telling me on Friday? Uh, it's, I do two Saturdays a month with one group. I do three Thursdays a month with another. The third group is either Mondays or Tuesdays, depending on scheduling. And then I just got invited to a fourth group for um, Call of Cthulhu. Bert, your gaming schedule sounds like a transit schedule. Nice. <laughs> I, love, I love Call of Cthulhu. So, so Bert, you are definitely the the person that has the most fifth edition experience because I read it when it first launched. We tried to play it. It didn't work for us, and it's just sort of sat on the back burner ever since. Hasn't stopped me from buying the books and reading them and then consecutively vomiting. But what's your feeling? Do you have that same emptiness that that I do or that they're tearing down the things that we used to love feeling? Well, for me, it's, you know, fifth edition as as a system, as a mechanic, it works very well. But I cut my teeth on second edition and second edition revised. You know, I want... You know, there's something about that's kind of cathartic about having a hero that's heroic and having a villain that's villainous, not necessarily stupid, but definitely evil. And it seems like as they make more and more changes to fifth edition, it becomes more sort of gray. There are like, there's a huge sort of neutral zone that doesn't really like fulfill that sort of itch to have a either a heroic fantasy story or you know if you want to be that bad guy and try to you know influence the world or you know bring your evil schemes to fruition that's just not something that it's not as prevalent in fifth edition and but I think you can roll your missed. battle wheelchair to the prom bert come on anyway uh greg i guess what i'm gonna do is put you on the spot give us the reader's digest version so that when we sit down at our table, we can say, hey, this is what we want to play and why. Well, what Bert was talking about is definitely correct. And I don't necessarily want to speculate as to why Wizards of the Coast has gone down this route. I want to say that it might have something to do with some kind of progressive political outlook on the game, which I don't really understand Like, why even that has any bearing on Dungeons and Dragons at all. If you look at the 40-year history of Dungeons and Dragons, it's always been about dungeons, exploring them, epic heroes versus monsters that could kill you, and that's and collecting treasure and defeating evils. You know, it wasn't about going to open up a Starbucks in a magical, <laughs> you know, uh Hogwarts and then the adventure is you creating cappuccinos. You know, it wasn't really about that. So uh, and that's where we're at. We're in the old school. We're we're not about opening Starbucks. Right, and, and we're so, not opposed to a, a story about Starbucks, but that's not the crux of why we're around the table with dice in front of us. Exactly. And I am very narrative-focused. Now, you, you think about the modern zeitgeist of tabletop RPGs as being corrupted by this idea of the quote-unquote story game. You know, where basically you're just playing and participating in a story that someone has created and you don't have any agency. Um, That's not necessarily the case with Iris. With Iris, we are very narrative focused and we do have a lot of 
plot hooks and story hooks that you can use. But that's because we want the experience for you to have uh, to be similar to something that you might have experienced in the 90s. You know, I grew up with AD&D 2nd Edition, and the default mode of play for us and for my friends, everyone I knew, was kind of along the uh, Tracy Hickman, Dragonlance type of mode of play, where the DM presented the world and was in charge of all of the monsters and the enemies. The players had input, and they could influence the world, but there was some kind of narrative element there. And that's really what we go for with Iris. If you're looking for an old school feeling that's not necessarily like a mega dungeon, you know, I can't say that we are OSR because we're fifth edition. You can't sure. be you can't be an OSR product and be fifth edition. So we're not gonna have mega dungeons. We're not gonna have necessarily a strict open world hex crawl with no <laughs> rules. You know, we're we're not keep on the borderlands, but with Iris, you can build that type of campaign using the lore and the history of this world with a classical good versus evil intent with heroic characters that are unique and archetypical and mythological. Um, you know, one thing I want to point out is that our races, the emptiness that Bert was talking about, I feel like is tied to this idea of the kitchen sink. Um, there's some other things that go into it, of course, that creates that general feeling of ennui that you get when you play fit that it's just like, eh, this just feels generic. It feels heartless. It feels like there's no soul here. Why is that? It's because there's no uniqueness. There's no creativity. You go into a city and there are not only humans and dwarves and elves, but also like uh, constructs and robots and aliens and <laughs> tieflings and demons and angels and all these like things wandering around as if it's just normal. That's the kitchen sink mindset that Wizards of the Coast has been trying to present. And we're totally against that with Iris. And Iris, yes, we have 18 races, we have unique classes, but compared to humans, some of these are incredibly rare. They're like mythological creatures. There might be one for every 100,000 humans in the setting, and to have one in your party is a unique and like special role-playing experience. It's not, you're not supposed to have a whole party of, of animal folk or, or these uh, dragon folk or anything like that. It's supposed to be like a very mythological experience, and that's right. where we differ from what they're doing today. It, it keeps the special special, and I think that that's a, a huge thing that that's sort of just everything's getting whitewashed. Or, or are we allowed to say whitewashed anymore? I don't no, know. But <laughs> but it, it is. Everything is blending together. Oh, you know, sexy succubus brothel on the corner in a human town. It just doesn't go along. And so I, I, I guess when we use the term OSR, especially for Bert and I, we're talking more just of the philosophy like you are with the old school gaming. You know, Bert and I yeah, came exactly. up the same place where you are. Where, you know, second edition was where we both cut our teeth. My first campaign was a brutal second edition spelljammer campaign back in the day. But, but it really set those boundaries and expectations that are kind of missing right now. So... I'm super, super geeked to really dig down into the content. Now, um, Bert, you did dig deeper than I did into the setting. 
So I did. I got through most of the uh, most of the core rulebook today. I got a chance to read about the different races and read about the different the new classes that were added. I uh, I thought that uh, you know it might be nice to kind of talk a little bit about you added racial abilities um, that don't kick in until the characters reach third level, for example. So is this more um, to sort of add more to that sort of unique element? Is it something that is that, that you kind of created as sort of like fodder for role play, get, allowing people to get deeper into their character's heritage and history? Can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea for sort of these racial abilities and sort of what you were thinking in there? Absolutely. So when we released the book uh, over a year ago at this point, that originally was not in there. I added that in there a, a while back. Um, and the reason for that is all of our races have a few very minor abilities that are available at first level, such as a proficiency in a specific skill or maybe they have a resistance to a certain type of damage. For example, there's a culture of humans called the Ormurians who are very magically attuned, and they have a resistance to necrotic damage. Those are available at level one. But my thought was, you know, all of our races have a, I guess what I would call an ultimate ability, something very powerful, something unique to their race that is thematic to what they represent as a fantasy race that they can use usually with a cooldown control by short or long rest, for example. Uh, and my thinking was by having that specific ultimate ability unlock at third level, it reflects the hero's journey. Uh, when you start out the game at first level, you are fairly powerful, but you're just a normal person. I think of Star Wars with Luke Skywalker. Within him is the power of the Force. He has the ability to control the Force. It's in his bloodline. But he doesn't recognize that. He doesn't gain that actual ability until he's been on his adventure for a certain amount of time. And he's learned from a, mem a mentor. He's been through several different encounters. He's gained experience, much like a tabletop role-playing game. So my thought is, uh, the races should have that ultimate ability unlock only if they are adventurers that have been into the wilderness and encountered obstacles and challenges that have made them grow as a person. And that kind of reflects the hero's journey for me. I thought that would be kind of interesting to implement. And I think that's going to be exactly why we want to sell it to at least one of our groups. Because, you know, the thing that was missing in our last campaign for a couple of folks was that feeling of growth in the character and having something attainable as a goal and experiencing that journey towards that ultimate goal. So it definitely just sort of slides right in. Um, hit you with a, a quick one here. If you had to just laundry list the three biggest points that would differentiate your setting from someone, you know, walking down the aisle at the bookstore, because that happens anymore, scrolling the evil drive through RPG site and would make them go to Iris, 
or three, two or three big, big things that, hey, this is unique for us. Number one is going to be the aesthetic. Um, when you take our book off the shelf, you're not going to be presented with a generic kind of CGI slash anime looking Magic the Gathering type of artwork and presentation that you get with Wizards of the Coast. All of their artwork looks the same. All of their books look exactly the same. When you take Iris off the shelf, you're immediately presented with something that looks and feels different. It feels like second edition. You open the book, all of the artwork in it, or most of it anyway, we had, we had to do some, you know, we cut some corners and where we could according to budget. Of course. But most of the artwork has an old school, very retro feel, very flavorful with a lot of personality, a lot of like, uh, not necessarily genericism, but we have a combination of you, you flip through, you see something that might remind you of like an old illustration from Dragonlance, like the Draconians, or there could be some, some concepts from like Redwall or Lord of the Rings. Like we have a very, if you, even our cover artwork for our book, you pick up the book, you look at the front and back. We designed it to look like the um, red and black second edition player's handbook. Right. Uh, we did that intentionally. So the first thing you're going to find is a totally different aesthetic from what you're getting from Wizards of the Coast. You're going to pick it up and you're going to go, whoa, this, is, this looks totally different. This is kind of interesting. This is cool. It, it does. I mean, I was you know just doing the quick flip through and... Uh, the thing that popped into my mind is, oh, I got all warm, fuzzy feelings. I thought I was looking through like a Boris Vallejo catalog. It was, it was, it was truly was a staggering difference from what's out there. What's another one? Yeah, especially with our new one that just came out, the Doom that came Doom to that came, Yes, yep. that, and, and that is exactly the one that I was looking through where I had the, that art feeling. Um, I, I think we'll talk about that and let you plug the new. Um, I guess, what would you call it? It's not a module. It's a full adventure. Full adventure and setting yeah. guide. Sword and sorcery. Right, right. Pulp fantasy. But, you know, for a, for a second idea that you're going to grab immediately from Iris is a, a type of flavor that you don't see in any other product. Um, what we do is we have an insane amount of flavor, uh, lore, storyline, background explanation detail whatever you want to call it now some people might put off be put off for that you know people are looking for something streamlined they're looking for something very simple sometimes that's fine for us though we wanted the entire book to look feel and read like a fantasy novel you want to if you're flipping through it you're 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 going to be reading something that you felt like it came from the 1970s to 1980s our racial abilities have flavor in them they have lore in them it's not just rules there's reasons for absolutely everything in the book you know everything is completely cohesive and tied together if you look at something like matt mercer's wildemount oh please gives, let's not <laughs> yeah well let's not but just in, as an example or strixhaven strixhaven has an owl race what do we know about them nothing they're, they're owls the, Yes, because they have one literally one paragraph dedicated to them. Compared to what we do in Iris, we have three, four, five, six pages dedicated to everything, to each race, their full history, 
Where did they come from? Their culture? What are they like? How do you roleplay as them? Their, their archetypes, their personalities, their abilities. Like, everything is fleshed out as if it was almost a fantasy novel. And that's where we stand out against the crowd. And I think that that's beautiful. You know, people often say, hey guys, what's your favorite blah, 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 blah. And one of the things that I am often asked is, what's your favorite, like, monster book? And people sort of scratch their heads when I tell them the answer because it is one of the monster manuals that has the smallest number of monsters in it. It's, I, I don't know, Greg, if you're even familiar with it, it's an old third edition supplement from uh, the Iron Kingdoms. It's uh, Monster Nomicon. But oh, okay, I, yeah. I love that book because, sure, it only has 60, 70, 80 monsters in it. But each monster has a full three pages of lore of telling you not only how that monster is going to attack, but why it attacks and why, you know, what its mentality is and what was its creation, what is its background. That is all stuff that for me, and I think it's partially because I am kind of forever DM, it's important for me because having that information really allows you to craft the world that your adventurers are moving through. So I, man, you're hitting a home run so far. <laughs> well, I agree. Like the Strixhaven Owl example that I just presented, as a dungeon master, let's say you happen to pick up the Strixhaven book, you wanted to create an adventure that had owl whatever people in it. What are you oh, going to do? I have it right here. I, yeah. I'm embarrassed to say yeah. I, I have it because <laughs> I have it too. I, I, I wanted to see what it was, but I, you know, like you like, said, there's nothing there. What are they? They're, they're what are you going to do? You're going to okay. So you're at the you're at Starbucks and there's an owl and the star and the owl is a barista at Star. Well, what are you going to do with that? Like you're not creating a, 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 an atmosphere for your players to delve into and experience the adventure you know when i talk about that I, you know who who ordered that soy latte That's... yeah <laughs> but like you know i'm not talking about ro like railroading you know not necessarily it's like i feel like as a second edition old school dm part of the objective of the dungeon master is to present a world that the players will want to participate in and Absolutely. create their own adventures in that world and influence it in a way that makes sense. And I wholeheartedly agree. Absolutely. Now, one thing that I found really compelling about the, like when I read through the races and things like that, is you actually provided a reason for them to be on the road other than character has tragic backstory. Like you gave a reason why this particular group of people might adventure. And I thought that that was great because it doesn't rely on sort of the, the cliches like my character has a tragic past or man on a mission. You literally gave a sort of a, uh, an ability or not an ability, a reason based on their people's history and who they are, why they might adventure. And I found that to be really compelling. Ah, yeah, that's true. You know, for example, the the Raven folk who are called Ravenveer in our setting uh, are compelled by the god of nature who created them to gather knowledge about the outside world and lore about the outside world and record that in their travels so that one day they might return and recount those tales to their god and enrich his knowledge about the world. And that's their purpose for adventuring, whereas the 
the dragon folk, the Drakenvir, who are similar to Dragonborn, but much, much cooler. Not even, no tentacle hair or anything like that. But these guys are paladins that have sworn an oath to defeat evil. They ride outward intentionally to go on adventures, slaying as many goblins as they can find. They, that's their purpose. They have a code of honor that they live behind. And a lot of newer, you know, the, the kind of zeitgeist now might describe that as a, oh, it's a monolithic culture. You can't have that. You can't say that, oh, dragon can or like that. That's, but that's not mythological. In mythology, it's okay to have that. It's okay for, for certain races and characters to represent ideals. And that's part of what we try to accomplish with Iris. We want to have characters represent specific things that you can latch onto for role-playing purposes. And, and tipping the hat to Huggin and Munnin is is really near and dear to my heart. Odin, Odin thanks you for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about the, the newest book, you know, the newest okay. business for you. Um, sure. we, we were sort of tiptoeing around it earlier, but it is for someone like me, new to the series, uh, I, you know, I really pride myself on the work that I put in for our campaigns, but a, a couple weeks ago, Bert and I were kicking around some of the modules that held a tender spot in our heart. Not necessarily because we run them cover to cover, word for word, but because they do provide a good barometer and sort of navigation guide for a new DM to a system, which I would be in Iris. So... Um, you're, you're a complete sword and sorcery adventure. I'm listening. Tell me about your new supplement. Okay, it's The Doom That Came to Astrius, a title that was blatantly based on The Doom That Came to Sarnath by H.P. Lovecraft. Right. And that's... And in case you didn't know, Bert and I are insane insane lovecraft fans <laughs> oh absolutely so we 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 saw this right away and i said hmm i wonder so am i so it's and that's how all of our books are they're intentionally so references to i mean throughout the book you're going to find tons of references to different sword and sorcery media throughout the 20th century you know, it's it's about that. It's it's not necessarily like a Ready Player One, but you're gonna get that feel. You're gonna get the nostalgia. But the Doom that came to Asterius is about a, a isle, a island, or a continent that was decadent and was all powerful, and suddenly a darkness came that they they scoffed at. The greatest kingdom of Asterius laughed when they were presented with this prophecy of this dark sorceress who is going to come and lay waste to them. So what happened? They were, all of the kingdoms fell to this power and the entire land is cursed. It's a wasteland. Uh, it's a blackened husk of what the kingdoms used to be. So what you have in the Doom that came to Asterius is a group of the greatest heroes that the realm has ever known. Uh, and you've got, you basically can play as characters that are totally pre-written they have a deep tie to the lore of the setting you can create your own as well the campaign begins at seventh level so it's a mid to high level campaign but we wanted you to take up the mantle of conan we wanted you to take up the mantle of elric and 
basically a party of these heroes has banded together to try and reverse the curse that is overwhelming the continent. We wanted to introduce core sword and sorcery and pulp fantasy concepts to a 5th edition audience while not alienating the existing OSR people who might be interested in that type of thing. So it is an epic quest with objectives that are set that you can run as written as the DM. However, it also has a vast open world that you can explore with hex grid regions uh, and there's some light hex crawling that you can do with random encounters and wilderness encounters in addition to a lot of dungeons to delve into, uh, a lot of encounters, social and otherwise, to run into tons of combat. But it, it's a full heroic adventure with a sword and sorcery base. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, again, definitely something that I can see in short order coming to our table. So we'll we'll definitely ping you and and let you know a month six weeks down the road how it's going because i i think i think people are in for a hard sell and if they don't like it fuck them they can go get go to find another group <laughs> um all of your materials uh drive through rpg correct that's correct and we so, have some we have physical copies on our website as well and your website go ahead and plug that for anyone that wants the physical copy Sure, www.thechroniclesofiris.com. We have our first book and our second book, Shadows of Padfoot Alley, which is a rat folk only adventure. It's inspired by The Secret of Nim, Great Mouse Detective, stuff like that that we grew up with. So that's a very short adventure, a small book. Um, oh, God damn, I'm going to cry thinking about Nicodemus now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you like the secret of Nim, if you like the idea of playing as like that type of environment as rat folk, definitely check it out. It's got a ton of amazing artwork, some of the best out there in the third party. But I, I did want to mention just real briefly, throw it out there that our first book that we printed is excellent. The quality is excellent. Hardcover Chronicles of Iris setting handbook printed it over a year ago. We've made a lot of changes and rules updates since then to the pdf if you buy the hardcover you get the pdf for free we will include an errata sheet so there is some errata based on what we've changed over time fabulous fabulous so there there you go folks pdf is the current modern version but if you're old and curmudgeony like me and you want to have that book there's an errata sheet to help you out as well bert any final questions or thoughts before we, we let Greg go and, and enjoy the rest of his evening? No, no, I'm actually kind of looking forward to trying to sell this to our group now, especially since, you know, I've gotten most of the way, the way through the core rule book. I'll be looking at some of the other stuff, you know, before our next session. So hopefully I'll be kind of your info guide. So, so you're going to run it and I actually get to play. Is that, <laughs> is that what I'm hearing? I might. Oh, I mean, it's a it's a compelling setting. It is a fantastic setting. Well, well, Greg, I don't want to take up any more of your valuable time. Everybody, go check out the Chronicles of Iris Drive Through RPG or ChroniclesofIris.com. Amazing artwork, really rich, deep lore. It, it is a source book that will throw you into all sorts of fantasy fuzzy goodness. Uh, Chronicles of Iris, check it out. Definitely spend some time and spend some bucks. Support the folks that are supporting our community. 
Greg, thanks for coming on. We appreciate you, and we appreciate all of your hard work. I'll be in touch, of course. We'll make fun of some of the Sparkle Trolls on Twitter together. <laughs> um, but uh, anytime, anytime you want to pop on, maybe if you want to you know, laugh at some terrible news segments one week, just, just hit me up, and you open invite on the show, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Glad to talk about it. I am so glad that Greg decided to stop by, Bert. I, I can't tell you how excited I am whether we play it or not and I have a feeling we will we will we will we will play it um just good dude smart dude doing the right thing for the hobby that may not always be going the right direction so I can't say enough good stuff about Greg I mean absolutely I mean definitely see us playing in this world yeah me too I I think it's going to be uh, at least good enough for a once-over. And I can see the group really embracing this, especially the makeup of the group now. You know, we, we took on two new players. Um, I think that they would be all in all day long on this system. So we'll see how it goes. It, it's It's going to be a fun time no matter what, but I'm really, really stoked for this new system. You should be really, really stoked to make sure that your account on the podcast provider of your choice has liked and followed and shared to the world. Can't stress the importance that you share to your friends, Nerd Cognito. If you're subscribed, you'll make sure that you don't miss a single episode. As soon as we launch every week, it will deliver to your device. And if you share it, you'll make sure that the goodness spreads through the community like herpes. So there's <laughs> nothing better than liking something and spreading it around like a venereal disease. Do you know the term venereal disease is now out of fashion? I, I, was, I did not. I was called an old man on Twitter for using the phrase venereal disease. It's now a sexually transmitted infection. So STI. STI. It's not even an STD anymore. That's Star Trek Discovery. And I, I don't like the, the, the STD. For I think it's more fun to say disco because then I picture John Travolta. Anyway, <laughs> the point of this is like, sub, share, retweet. Do all of that stuff so that next week when we come at you, we'll already be there. Frightening how technology works, Bert. That is, everything advances quickly. But that is our show for this week. We want to thank one more time our special guest, Mr. Greg Lambert, co-author of The Chronicle of Iris. You can download it completely from DriveThruRPG. There are limited amounts of hardcover copies available at their website, thechroniclesofiris.com. Check it out, check it out, check it out. Phenomenal artwork, amazing concept and i think it sounds like a pretty solid system but you be the judge we're going to certainly be the judge at our table my name is ryan david i was joined by bert that's all we've got for you this week until next week my friends we will talk to you shortly be safe out there everyone <laughs>